beginning at verse 10. We began last week to open up this passage. We want to look a little bit more closely. Revelation 1, verse 10, John wrote, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands one like the son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest the hairs of his head were white like wool as white as snow his eyes were like a flame of fire his feet were like burnished bronze refined in the furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters in his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things you ha that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This morning I'm just going to focus on the last verse, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels or messenger pastors, we talked about that last week, are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So let us pray quickly before we dig in. Lord, we thank you for your word and its truth and we long for wisdom and understanding. This book has been and continues to be a ministry to so many faithful believers. and We don't want to be prideful and say that we know best, but we want in humble obedience. We want to be faithful to your word and help us to understand this so that we may apply it to our walk, to our faith, to our understanding. So speak to us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. I am realizing that the book of Revelation needs bold statements. You cannot tiptoe through it gently. So I'm going to begin with a bold statement. One in ten ministers standing in the pulpits this morning are truly called of God to preach the word of God. One in ten are truly called. Nine out of ten are not. That's a bold statement. Too many, too many people in pulpits, this is another bold statement, I hope it doesn't turn you off, but just hear me out. 
too many are proud, arrogant, ignorant, greedy. They are deceived and they are deceivers. Even those who intend to do well, some there are many who come into the into ministry and they're evangelical. They want to do what is right. They want to do what is good. They want to glorify the Lord. But not many of those are genuinely called. For example, a lot of young men, I've seen this in my own life. A lot of young men attended a church where the pastor was very capable, very likely called. He was inspiring in his ministry and his work. He was admired and respected by the congregation and even by the community. Therefore, some of these young men, seeing that example of their pastor, I want to be just like him. He is so inspiring. I think the Lord's calling me to ministry. So they go off to the seminary and they spend the money and earn the Master of Divinity degree. But really what they have just been doing is expressing and I hope I don't sound judgmental I think they're expressing foolish youthful pride now certainly they should have been faithful to the Lord but they perhaps maybe did not need to be faithful to the Lord by going into ministry faithful in supporting their church Faithful in learning and growing there, but not necessarily going into ministry. They just wanted success and admiration, respect and love. They earned the necessary degree, began ministry, and quickly burned out. I had graduated from Reformed Theological Seminary, the Charlotte campus, in the year 2000. Now, Reformed Theological Seminary is an old institution, and its principal campus is in Jackson, Mississippi. Charlotte was one of the satellite campuses that began, and Charlotte, by the year 2000, was still a small campus, a small seminary. In May of 1999, that campus diplomaed 18 MDiv Students. I mean, they graduated 18 men with a Master's of Divinity degree. And I'm trying to remember exact numbers. I think I'm pretty close. So if somebody Googles this and looks it up, they might find it a little bit different, but I'm pretty close. Out of 18 who graduated in May 1999, 15 already had calls to ministry. They could leave campus, they could go home, and they start work in some church. A pastor, assistant pastor, youth pastor, something. Read a report. I was back in, I was going through seminary at that time. My senior year was the following year, November of that same year. Twelve out of the 15 who already had a job were already out of ministry. So you see why I'm coming across with these strong statements about So many think they belong in ministry. They haven't truly been called. They're inspired by someone who does well. They want to be just like them, and there's nothing wrong with that. But ministry is something else, something more. 
you might ask, what's so hard about being a preacher? He only works one day a week. Mm. Well, the next two or three weeks, we'll be looking at the difficulties of ministry as we examine the seven churches that John writes about. But today, what we need to realize is that few preachers who are faithful preaching the word of God are faithfully administering God's truth. As I began, nine out of ten are not truly called, so one out of ten are faithfully administering God's truth. The true authority of God is eternal, it is unchangeable, it is wise, it is powerful. So, Christian, you need to be careful who you listen to. When God calls a man to the ministry, he places upon him a burden that cannot be ignored. It is a burden that is so strong upon a man's heart and upon his mind that he must preach. He can do nothing else. Jeremiah testified to the same thing, both in his book, Jeremiah, and his other letter, Lamentations. In Jeremiah 20, he said, If I say, I will not mention him or speak of him any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Jeremiah said that the word of God is like a burning fire in my bones and I must preach it. He says it again in Lamentations. From on high he sent fire into my bones. He made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint, all the day long. God called Jeremiah, if you read Jeremiah, from the womb. He said, you're going to be my prophet and true minister of God. It's a taste of this, even today. God shuts the door everywhere else. And guess what he did to me? I couldn't do the job I used to do. Workman's compensation paid for my schooling. Don't argue with the Lord in prayer. I was literally saying, Lord, I'll go. You had to pay for it. Be careful what you pray for. Especially when you're stubborn. When God calls a man to the ministry, he places upon him a burden that cannot be ignored. And the called man must preach. And... And God equips him with a grace that enables him to endure all the difficulties of pastoral ministry. And the task is difficult, but the message is eternally important. The hearers are often unresponsive, indifferent, and sometimes stubborn. We'll see that as we get into the seven churches next week. from our text as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands the seven stars are the angels or messenger pastors 
We saw last week that the word angel literally means messenger. In our English translators, when it was talking about some heavenly being, they just transliterated the word from angelos to angel. When it talks about a preacher or a prophet or an apostle, it's a messenger. Same word in the Greek. The seven stars are the angels, messenger, passengers, pastors of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So let's assume for the sake of the message that the angel messengers had been faithful to preach and teach the truth with authority. And I don't think we need to stretch much to assume because the angels in my right hand, or excuse me, the stars in my right hand are the angels. They're bright, they're beautiful, they're shining, they're in the right hand of the Lord of heaven. Anytime you read or study the scriptures, you see anywhere talking about God's might, his power, his authority, is always referencing his right hand or his right arm. Psalm 20, verse 6, I know the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from the holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Psalm 108, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let your beloved ones, that your beloved ones may be delivered, give salvation by your right hand. So whenever scripture is talking about the right hand of God, it's talking about his authority, his ability to deliver. And very often he delivers through the proclamation of, of his word. And we need to pause there sometimes and digest that thought. Because we I don't think I don't think many Christians give enough credence to the word of God. Oh, it's helpful. Oh, we believe it's true. Oh, it's it's I it's trustworthy. It's eternal. But does it make that much of a difference in your life? These angel messengers, the faithful preachers, sent by the Lord to bring the gospel of truth to the church or to his people. These stars, these angels in the right hand of God had the authority to preach God's message. I don't think they were special, literally angelic beings. They were not heavenly creatures. I think the Lord... These stars in my hand represents the pastors of these seven churches. And John, you are to give them a letter for these churches. I believe they were earthly ministers called of God. And they had a legitimate call, and they were faithful to the legitimate call. They were already serving as pastors, and the Lord was reminding the church through John's letters that they must heed the preaching of their pastors. And does this make sense? might pause and ask, well, what about the failure of the seven churches? Don't they get in trouble? Isn't that what the letters are all about? Yeah, that's true. You might ask, doesn't faithful preaching produce faithful spiritual fruit? 
it should. It very often does. Faithful ministers do preach truth, but it is very often rejected by their congregations or by their hearers. Let's be honest. It is rejected. It makes no difference to the lives of some people who hear it. In the New Testament, we were going to see in Revelation where so many people rejected the word. And in the Old Testament, we already are very aware that so many people in Israel rejected the word. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, references the prophets of the Old Testament. It talks about the heroes, Abraham and Isaac and David, and then it talks about the prophets. Some were tortured, refusing to accept relief so that they might rise again and be better to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves and the earth. So the faithful preachers of the Old Testament were very often rejected. Have you ever read the book of Jeremiah? Beautiful, convicting words from a prophet called of God. He is known as the hated prophet. Have you read the book of Isaiah? Wonderful messianic texts about the coming of the Lord Jesus. Promises of his keeping covenant and becoming the servant Lord who died, took upon himself the sins of many. It is believed that Isaiah was the prophet with sawn in two for his preaching. So we have strong evidence that the truth, the true minister preaching the truth of God is very often going to be rejected because the world does not like God's truth. Matthew 23, verse 37, the Lord himself prayed, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. Faithful ministers do preach the truth but it is often rejected by those who hear it. We have seven stars in the right hand of the Lord, seven messengers who are sent out with authority of God's truth. That's who the seven stars are. Then we have seven lampstands. Those are the churches that did not respond well. Christ is suggesting that the lampstand has not been removed yet, but we will see He will say it again and again and again. Almost every single one of those churches. Repent or I will remove your light. Every one of those churches no longer exists. 
you might stop and ask, why are false prophets so successful and so popular? We see a lot of preachers have great big churches, mega churches, multi-campus churches, where they stream from one city to another. Whatever happens in the principal city, it's going, and they bring them in by the thousands. Why are they so popular? Why are they so successful? False prophets preach a message that people makes people happy. False prophets preach a message where everybody can agree. The message of the false prophet entertains. The message of the false prophet strokes the prideful heart. The message of the false prophet promises things that God says you're going to get. But it ain't necessarily so. And the false prophet never calls for repentance. Unless it happens to be to the point where you need to repent about keeping all your money so that they can give it to the false prophet. They do all this in order to keep the people happy. They do all this in order to appear successful. They don't care one whit about being true. Most of you have already heard of Andy Stanley, the son of Charles Stanley. He believes that God's law in the Old Testament is no longer important for the New Testament church. He said we need to unhitch the New Testament church from the Old Testament law. False prophet. Stay away from Andy Stanley. Creflo Dollar and and Kenneth Copeland both say, They both claim to be gods, just like Jesus. I've read the quotes, and I've even heard them say it on recordings that they made sermons that they delivered that are on YouTube. That's blasphemy. But they seem to be raking people in by the thousands. Why? People don't like God's truth. There's another one. You may not have heard of her. Some people refer to her as the pink-haired lady. Her name is Kat Kerr. She claims to have had something like 86 visits to heaven or 86 visions of heaven. She was asked, what is Jesus like? According to her, Jesus liked to eat candy and ride around heaven on his dirt bike. We read John's account of meeting the Lord and Savior. He fell down to worship, terrified in his presence. Jesus was just having a good time on his dirt bike. Jesse Duplantis also claims to have visited heaven. I've heard, I've seen a video. I'm taller than Jesus by about that much. Such pride. You need to be careful who you listen to. The church needs preachers that proclaim the truth. God's truth is something difficult to hear, but we must hear it. 
gospel message is not just a gift of eternal life in heaven. You can be saved and you get to go to heaven. Wonderful message, and there is truth there, but the heaven is the consequence. We don't earn it, it is given, but when we receive it, we also need, we also need to re- realize that there is something that goes hand in glove. You want to show that your faith in that promise is real, then repentance needs to accompany it. It's not just about eternal life in heaven. The gospel is a call to repent. Verse, Matthew 4, verse 17, from the time Jesus began to preach. Now, this is Jesus preaching. He began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark affirms that, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In Acts 2.38, the day of Pentecost, the Peter, Peter preached, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Repent, repent, repent. Now I began by saying that I cannot tiptoe through revelations. Some of these are going to come across strong. But repentance is needed. Acts 17.30, again, the time of ignorance of God. Acts 17.30, Jesus commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom God has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Christian life is a difficult life, I will confess. And we don't like having our sins exposed. It causes us to feel ashamed, but... If Christ is your Savior, he either has or he can take away that shame. He will be and he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will not leave you or forsake you. Christian life is a difficult life because it is a life of repentance and faith. I've turned away from my sin. As the prophet Jeremiah said, the Lord threw a net under my feet and pulled me down and dragged me back. And sometimes that's the way God has to do it. G.K. Chesterton once said that the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. You see so many people, I've seen them, you've seen them, so many people who claim to know Jesus or claim to be Christians, but it's not evident in their life. They want the promise of heaven without the price of repentance.
preachers keep preaching it, and the preachers keep preaching it, and the preachers keep preaching it, and people keep rejecting it and rejecting it and rejecting it. There are very few pastors in ministry who truly wear the mantle of God's call. And they are not willing to preach faithfully. They want to make sure that their people are happy. They want to make sure that their people love them. They want to make sure that the people come back next Sunday because if they lose the church, they're out of a job. What will Countryside do? How will Countryside respond? If the pastor here calls for repentance, what's your response? brother here in our congregation was talking the other night about conviction of sin and I understand what he is saying because I had heard it in my youth too but today there aren't very many people who hear and understand what that means they know what conviction means when it's in a civil trial or a criminal courtroom conviction is literally just a declaration that someone's guilt has been proven in the old days when people would give up and give a testimony of their salvation they would talk about being under the conviction of sin that just literally meant that they they knew by God's light they were sinners and lost in need of redemption and they could not turn away until they received Christ as their Savior. They knew that repentance was necessary. God redeemed them from their sin, from the bondage that was there. He removed the conviction of condemnation that was eternal, and he gave them eternal life. I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm here to show you what Christ will do for you, on behalf of you. Eternal promises, eternal life, eternal love, and salvation. But you can't keep your sin in him too. He will not have it. Very few ministers, very few pastors in ministry who truly wear the mantle of God's call because it is a difficult mantle to wear. And we will talk about that when we get into the seven churches. Let us pray. Father, we're thankful for your word and its truth and its power. And we pray that as we look together into your word, that we see your light and that we see your grace and your mercy for we need it. Father, we know that we are sinners. We know that we are never at our best. We know that we fail frequently, but we cling to the cross. We lean upon your mercy and grace and we rejoice in the gift of love that comes in Jesus. 
and let us live for him in such a way that his name is honored and the fruit of our life gives him praise. It is in his name we pray. Amen.